Oh God, glory to you in the highest. Gloria, Gloria, Gloria. And so we've come today, the faithful, we have come eager to fellowship with the living Christ. These few moments we have left, engage our minds and then compel our hearts to act, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have the last issue of the student movement uh, for this semester. Great issue. I want to read to you from a dynamite interview written by Melody Rashman. She's the editor-in-chief. This is our, student, our university student paper. It's on the last page. They call it the last word. It appears every week here. Good job, Melody. Spot on. So I'm going to skip her, how she sets this up. You need to read the whole thing. But she says, look, if you push aside the elementary school pageants and nativity scenes and you take a second look at the Christmas story, I think you'll find it rather grimmer than you remember. An oppressed nation is under foreign rule. A frightened 12 or 13-year-old girl is accused of adultery, nearly loses her fiancé, and faces a mysterious pregnancy, trusting only in the words of an angel. Her baby is born in a filthy cave in a slobbery feeding trough with no midwife, not her mother present. Instead of excited relatives, her first visitors are shepherds, outcasts from society who sleep outside and smell of dung. Soon she, Joseph, and the newborn baby will have to flee to a foreign country to escape, to escape murder, and they'll leave a massacre of, massacre of children in their wake. It's no wonder that every time the angels appear in the story, the first thing they say is, do not be afraid. The first Christmas wasn't jolly, it was terrifying. You're right, Melody. My friend Mercedes, a self-proclaimed Scrooge and Grinch, has often said that one of the reasons she dislikes Christmas so much is the hypocrisy. We act as if, she says, everything is magically better for this arbitrary couple of weeks when it isn't. There is no peace on earth. The thing is, I almost entirely agree with her. Pretending that everything is magically better from December 1 to 25 is foolish, sometimes even insulting. Try telling a kid whose parents just got divorced that Christmas is a time for togetherness and love. Make sure you wish happy holidays to the homeless man sitting outside of Macy's before you finish your Christmas shopping. And if you happen to have a boyfriend, girlfriend, or parent who's going to be spending Christmas in Iraq, assure them that Christmas brings peace on earth. The important distinction I want to make, however, is that Christmas is not merely party, it's a promise. And now, Melody, good, good, good work here. The reason Mary gave thanks and the angels sang is that in the midst of bleak despair was born hope incarnate. You go, girl, that's perfect. The coming of Christ to this earth was the wildest, maddest, and most glorious upending of expectations in human history. In sorrow, joy, in darkness, light, we do not celebrate Christmas because our songs, gifts, and gatherings, as beautiful as they may be, can change the world. We celebrate because Jesus was born to die. This Christmas, I urge you to look backward and remember the promise of Bethlehem and then look forward to the proclamation of the angels. Do not be afraid. Peace will be on the earth. Isn't that good? Well done, Melody. So how many Americans will have no peace on earth this Christmas? How did Melody put it? She says, make sure you wish happy holidays to the homeless man sitting outside of Macy's before you finish your Christmas shopping. 
Fast food workers in Chicago and 100 cities across this nation on Thursday called for a national boycott to protest the federal minimum wage of $7.25, which, by the way, calculates to $15,000 a year for a full-time worker. I listened to one of the morning, early morning protesters in Chicago speaking to the WBBM uh, radio reporter. Christmas gifts for my, for my children. Are you kidding? It's all I can do to keep food on the table for them. And so fast food workers were in the background chanting, we can't survive on 725. We can't survive. They're hoping to enlist public support to get the minimum wage raised to $15 an hour. An American Christmas. Welcome. According to the U.S. Census Bureau's latest statistics, which came out in September, 50.7 million Americans, that's roughly 16% of this nation's population, live in poverty. What's poverty? Two adults, two children living at, at or below $23,492 a year. One out of eight Americans today subsisting on the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program called SNAP, what we used to call food stamps. And half of those on food stamps are children. In 2012, 49 Americans lived in what they now, the Department of Agriculture, called food insecure households, which is a euphemism for not getting enough to eat. Food insecure. 31 million adults, 16 million children. Look, I want to ask you a question. If one out of six Americans is living below the poverty level now, why aren't the media saying anything more about it? You don't hear hardly a breath. The Pew Research Center's Project for Excellence in Journalism found that out of 52 major mainstream media outlets, coverage of poverty amounted to, get this, less than 1% of available news space over five years, 2007 to 2012. Less than 1%. And one out of six of us is poor. One of the report's conclusions was that media organizations, I thought this was something, chose not to chose not to cover poverty because it was potentially uncomfortable to advertisers seeking to reach a wealthy consumer audience. As Barbara Ehrenreich, she writes for Time Magazine, put it, they don't want really depressing articles about misery and hardship near their ads. Misery and hardship? Are you kidding? Five days over the Thanksgiving weekend leading up to Cyber Monday this week, up, guess how much Americans spent? $5.3 billion for gifts for ourselves. $5.3 billion. You want to talk about misery and hardship? There's no misery and hardship around here. Who wants to think of it? How did Melody put it in this uh, editorial of hers? Make sure you wish happy holidays to the homeless man sitting outside of Macy's before you finish your Christmas shopping. Please, only in America, an American Christmas. Last week together was an American Thanksgiving, one Mayflower today, an American Christmas, two turtle doves. The poor, let's be honest. That may be why we're a tad bit uncomfortable with the Christmas story, because it, everywhere you turn in that story, they're poor people. You notice that? Except for, except for a maniacal king and a band of wealthy Persian magi, except for them, every player in the first Noel is poor, dirt poor. We're talking about a gaggle of shepherds, an aging widow prophetess, 
an elderly righteous man, a village carpenter, and his pregnant teenage betrothed. Poor. All of them. Poor as church mice. In fact, get this, after the birth of the baby, when the couple made their proscribed visit to the Jerusalem temple to dedicate that child, give him a name, they had to select, because they had to offer up special offerings of thanks and, and, and a burnt offering for sin, they had to opt for provision B in the Levitical code. Let me put, it on, put the Levitical code on the screen here. This is Leviticus chapter 12, verse 8. But if she, the mother, cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a, a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. So guess what? Guess how the, the, the part of the Christmas story we never read. Notice how it reads. Luke chapter 2, verse 22. And when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took the Christ child to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Looks, looks to me like we have an American Christmas, don't we? On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a partridge in a pear tree. On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. We got them. Two turtle doves. The PNC wealth management investment firm every year calculates how much it would cost in America if you had to give all 12 days worth of gifts to your, uh, your, 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 your beloved. They haven't released the numbers yet for, for 2013, but I have the numbers for last year. If you gave all 12 days, it would cost $107,300 for those 12 days of Christmas. Hey, but listen, $107,300, what's that in comparison with $5.3 billion we've already spent on ourselves this Christmas? Already. Misery and hardship? Not in this country. At least so we try to soothe ourselves. Yeah. Two turtle doves. So I went online, by the way. I said, okay, I want to find out how much do turtle doves go for today? I finally found a website that actually sells turtle doves. <laughs> no. So a turtle dove today goes for $32.50. So this is two turtle doves, which would mean if you bought two of them, it would cost you $65 plus shipping. <laughs> so I said, okay, I want to find out what a lamb goes for. And they had a website that gives the prices in 2014 for lambs being ordered now. And the price is uh, $350 to $500 each. The turtle doves are cheaper when you're poorer, which is precisely the point. This couple is as poor as a church mouse, except there were no church mice or even churches back then. Their baby has to grow up to become a man, live among us, and then die for us before there will be a church. So the truth, I mean really the truth, is that the poor are the stuff of the Christmas story. Even the baby grew up to be poor. Our text, the one we look up together for this homily, let's look it up now. New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 
chapter 8, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Take a look at this text. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You didn't bring a Bible, grab the Pew Bible in front of you. It'll be the uh, New King James, page 780. I'm in the NIV. You got your tablet, good. You got your phone, good. Okay, we're covered. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. The Apostle Paul writing, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became what? What did he become? He became poor. So that you through his, what's the next word? Poverty might become rich. You know what's fascinating about this Greek word for poor is that it's taken from the verb, which means to crouch or to cower, which is the posture of one who sits by the roadside begging. So you have this king. I mean, you have this king who owns the entire universe. It's all his. Every creature in the universe is a creature of his kingdom. He rules with, he rules with beneficence, with goodness, with compassion. He is the embodiment of love. So you have this king, as wealthy as Croesus, $5.3 billion that we've already spent on ourselves, it's nothing to him. It's a penny. You have this king who one day, according to this story, stands up and removes the resplendent robes of his majesty, strips down, disappears, and he ends up on this dark planet, cowering like a beggar beside the filthy earth road, just like one of us poor, dirt poor earthlings. That's the story. How's that verse go? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? It is utterly impossible for our finite, our faulty minds to, to even faintly grasp what th 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 this, this stupendous reversal of fortune. He who has everything becomes nothing so that I who have nothing might have everything. I, I don't understand. I mean, can you explain it to me? Can you? One sentence. That's the story length. One sentence of the God who came down to become poor, just like everyone else in his Christmas story. He's dirt poor. In fact, he's, he's dirt poor when he grows up. Somebody came to him and said, oh, Lord, I want to follow you for the rest of my life. And Jesus mournfully turns to that individual and he says, I'm awfully sorry. But you see, foxes have dens and birds, birds have nests. I, have, I don't even have a pillow. I have nowhere to put my head. You don't want to follow me. One day, the religious hierarchy trying to trap him over something called paying taxes. And Jesus said, all right, he needs a coin. He, he, for his response, he needs a coin. He reaches into his pocket. They're empty. He says, anybody here have a coin? They flip him a coin, and he finishes with his response. He's dirt poor. He is so poor, by the way, that when they come to his, when they come to his death, I mean, it's the, the, the Romans, they'll take whatever capital you have left at your moment of execution. All they have to gamble over is a seamless outer mantle. Period. That's it. Dirt poor. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, 
so that you through his poverty might become rich. I don't understand it. Do you? How can we? One sentence story of the God who came down and became poor, just like everyone else in the Christmas story. It's no wonder Jesus was such a strong advocate and defender of the poor. Pope Francis. Have you heard of him? Pope Francis, just a few days ago, listen, released an 85-page document some are now calling the mission statement for his new papacy. It's entitled in the Latin, Evangelii Gaudium. That's Latin for the joy of the gospel. What's this document about? In the document, he's making a papal case for how the Catholic Church and papacy itself must be reformed to create a more missionary and merciful church that gets its hands dirty as it seeks out the poor and the oppressed. So these are his words. I'll put them on the screen for you. Pope Francis, in this document, more than by fear of going astray, My hope is that we will be moved by the fear of remaining shut up within structures which give us a false sense of security, within rules which make us harsh judges, within habits which make us feel safe. While at our door, people are starving, and Jesus does not tire of saying to us, give them something to eat, end quote. I tell you what, no matter where one stands theologically or ecclesiastically or apocalyptically, the fact of the matter is what is clear in this document is a strong and impassioned appeal to care for the disenfranchised and the marginalized. Which clearly was the passion of the Lord Jesus himself. A century ago, Ellen White, In advance of any statement from Pope Francis, Ellen White spoke these words, wrote them down, and I'll put them on the screen for you. Christ's chief work was in ministering to the poor, the needy, and the ignorant. And that's our chief work. In simplicity, he opened before them the blessing they might receive and thus aroused a soul hunger for the bread of life. Christ's life is an example to all his followers. Anybody here a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? We are. His his life is an example to you and me. His chief word, did you catch that? Ministering to the poor, the needy, and the ignorant. The socially marginalized, the economically disenfranchised, the morally alienated... Those were his people. The one out of six Americans, that was his, that was his mission field. The poor. The Pope didn't come up with his idea. Jesus did. And shall his church follow? That's the question this Christmas and beyond. Shall his church follow? Ten years ago, we planted the Harbor of Hope in the inner city of Benton Harbor, 12 miles up this road. Ten years later, we are still desperately needing volunteer partners in that inner city ministry. I met with the governance board a few evenings ago, and they went over the finances for the new year. Pared back. No choice in order to keep that operation viable. Is God growing his kingdom up there in Benton Harbor? He absolutely is. We've got a dynamite young leader there named uh, Pastor Torres Montgomery. He sits with our staff every week. Sharp young guy. 
Yeah, God is growing His kingdom. In fact, just a few weeks ago, let me put this picture on the screen for you. Those are brand new Christian Adventists right there. Yeah, isn't that great? Baptisms. Yeah, God's growing His kingdom. And Pastor Torres, by the way, is a guy all the way down on the left. But there's so much more work to do in that inner city, 12 miles away from affluent Andrews University. 12 miles away. Richard Stearns, in his book, The Hole in Our Gospel, describes the poor this way. And I thought this was, this was pretty poignant. Put the words on the screen for you. This is Richard Stearns. The poor are not lab rats on whom we can experiment with our pet theories... They are human beings with rich cultural and personal stories of their own. They have hopes and dreams, tragedies and triumphs in their lives. They need us to love them first and then listen to them. They need us to see their assets and their God-given abilities. When we see them as God sees them, we will glimpse His image in their faces. And here's the line. I hope you don't forget. Who are they? They are Christ in His most distressing disguise. I want you to ISO that phrase and put it on the screen for us. Christ in his most distressing disguise. Inasmuch as you did this to the least of these, you did it to me. Christ in his most distressing, because we're not comfortable with it, his most distressing disguise. I'm there in that inner city. I am there. Wow. Then what should we do for the poor this Christmas? And I'm really thinking beyond Christmas. Just a page away from this line that we've just read. Turn it, turn, it, turn it to chapter 9, verse 9. So we're in 8, verse 9. Now go to chapter 9, verse 9. One line. God says, I have a solution for you. I have a solution for you. This is chapter 9, verse 9. And as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Isn't that something? They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. This verse probably means more than a toy drive. Although next Sabbath, listen, if, if you're around and you haven't left campus, you're in the community here, don't miss our annual children's celebration of Christmas. Unforgettable. It'll take place live right here next Sabbath. And yes, there will be a toy drive. And so there's a full page in the bulletin devoted to this. But uh, here's the deal. If you'll, if you'll bring a toy for a child between 1 and 16 years of age, you cannot wrap it. We have to know what's in that box. If you will bring a toy, just bring it up next Sabbath. I'm not diminishing toy drives, but surely this line, this line, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, is not about toy drives. It's probably not even about throwing a couple dollar bills into the red kettle of the Salvation Army ringer. Well, I feel better for doing that. Whoo! Did my thing, God. Aren't you proud of me? That can't be. I mean, what is this line? They, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Can't be that. Uh, it may not even be financial at all. It could be time. What if you gave time? What if in the new year you were willing to give one Sabbath a month to uh, Harbor of Hope up the road? One Sabbath. Whatever you guys need, I'm here. Whatever you need, I'll help you. Maybe you could give two every other Sabbath. You go up there. I tell you what, they would rise up and call you blessed. You might give up. You might say, you know, for the rest of the, for the new semester, I'm going up there every Sabbath. Oh, they'd embrace you, put you to work, just like Jesus. He said, oh, but come on, Dwight, if I go up there, what could I do? Well, I, that's a good question. And so I got a hold of Taurus this week, called him up and said, hey, Taurus, man, I'm going to be preaching on this. 
uh, send me an email with, with how people could specifically respond. Because we're celebrating the 10th anniversary now of Harbor of Hope. So how, how could people respond? So he sends me an email back and says, Dwight, here they are. A few suggestions. Number one, sidewalk Sabbath school. Everything, by the way, stops this week and will start again January 17th. Sidewalk Sabbath School. Help teach children ages 4 through 11 about Jesus. They have this beautiful van. They drive down the road, they stop, and they offer it. In the winter, even. Number two, serve as a mentor to teens for a semester. Number three, join the ambassadors, which is to minister to others by sharing Bible truths via Bible studies. You want to have Bible studies? You join us. Food ministry. Number four, join one of the meal teams to help serve members from the Benton Harbor community. They serve a meal, every, two meals sometimes, every day. We're talking about impoverished. So join a meal team. Number five, 1,000 young men march. Come support a call for young men to be all God designs them to be. Number six, health at Health Expo, help us share the ministry of healing. Number seven, finally, Passport to Manhood, a joint program we do with the Boys and Girls Club of Benton Harbor teaching boys to be men. You notice the emphasis on boys and men? That's an inner city need. You got boys and men on this campus? We got them. We need role models. We need guys who could just step in, older guys, younger guys. We need women too. That's the point. That's too far for me to go, Dwight. It's really too far for me to go. Okay. You want something closer to home? We have neighbor to neighbor right out here on Highway 31. Beautiful facility. There are people who are devoting their volunteer time essentially, exclusively focused on caring for the physical and emergency needs of the poor. The poor is the focus of, of uh, neighbor to neighbor. You have one day. You pick the day of the week. You have one day to give. You show up. They will hug you. Any day you want. Any day you show up. Too far to go to Benton Harbor. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, you and I can freely scatter our gifts to the poor just as God invites us to. And by the way, you're saying, Dwight, I'm too, I'm too poor to have to do this. If you're too poor to have to do this, you have to do it. This is for the poor. Nobody gets a, nobody gets a pass. Jesus says, you want my heart? You want my heart? You want to come to my home? Then like my heart, serve the poor. Poor serving poor? Of course. Why not? Why should you do it? I, I don't think you even have to ask that, do you? I mean, why should I do this, Dwight? Please. Because Jesus, who was rich, became poor so that you who are poor might become rich. That's why. Calvary is about God emptying himself to the last penny to save the human race. Put it on the screen one more time. Words a hundred years ago. Christ's chief work was in ministering to the poor, the needy, and the ignorant. This Christmas and beyond this Christmas, shall we not do the same? Shall we not? We must. Take your Connect card, please, as we wrap up this worship together. Connect card's in your worship bulletin. Pull it out. Guests, we're delighted to have you. We do this every, every Sabbath at the end of a teaching. Uh, you can fill out the front, your name. Put, put an email address on it today because it's going to call for a chance to be in touch. And you'll see why. So just make sure your email address is legible. Share what you're comfortable with, guess about who you are. The rest of you are regulars. You know what to do. Turn the card over now. This is the next step side of the card. Here's a suggested next step or two. Could one of these be your way of responding? Our ushers are now moving to uh, receive your cards in just a second. 
Box number one, my next step today is to volunteer some time at the Harbor of Hope Church in the inner city. Please contact me. I'm not promising you anything. I'm interested, though. Contact me. Let me find out where I could fit in. If you, have, if you put an email address there or put a cell phone, we'll be in touch with you. Either one. Box number two, to volunteer some time at Neighbor to Neighbor. That's just right down here. I, I'll be happy to come in. I, can't know, I don't know if I can come every week, but I'd be happy to. Please contact me. Just, just put a check mark there, and if we have an email address or, or a cell phone, we'll be in touch with you. Number three, to give a Christmas gift to help someone in need, you can count on me for blank. Put an amount there right now. He said, right, I'm going to go home and think about it. No, don't go home and think about it, because if you go home and think about it, you're going to think yourself right out of that gift. I know, I'm serious. I know how this works. Put an amount right now. You can give $100, that's fine. You can give $500, that's fine. You can give $1,000, just mark your tithe envelope, emergency assistance. Make a gift. You're poor, you're a student, make a little gift. Make a gift. Act on Jesus' example. The example of Christ is our example we just read. And I'm going to add what Pastor Jose did a moment ago because this other little box, information on baptism. Andrew, where are you sitting? Yeah, Andrew, that was, that was a beautiful testimony. And Andrew, was, you know, we were in the grow group together. And Jordan, you were, you were in the grow group as well. We've got a bunch of us sitting right up here near the front. We're very, we're very happy for you, uh, Andrew. Hey, listen, guys, as Jose said just a moment ago, it's that simple. You make a decision... Nobody's rushing you. You're going to be gone for the Christmas break. Fine, come back. Take your time. But while your heart is sensitive to the Spirit saying, why don't you do the same, put a check mark right here. I'm interested in information on baptism. That's all. I want information. Make sure we have your email. We'll be in touch with you. You can follow Jesus the same way Andrew did. Why not? It's beautiful. Let's pray. Oh, God. God who owns this universe and walked away from it all, risking it all, to save this one rebel, dirt-poor planet. It, it is beyond our grasp. But that you did come, and that you chose to become the poorest of the poor so that you might identify with all. Oh, God, we praise you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Calvary. We thank you that through his poverty, we now can be rich in eternity. Thank you, Father. Right, these, these next steps, Father, they're nothing, trust me. But it's a small way of us saying we must do something. So accept our decisions and accept our morning tithes and offerings. Put it all in that plate. And, Father, this season, of all seasons, keep calling from our hearts this gift for others. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. In this closing moment, I wanted to tell you what an honor it's been to have you as a part of our global television and cyberspace community throughout this year. It's been a privilege to serve you right here. As you well know, the podcasts, the telecasts, the study guides, the books, and the literature are all offered to you free of charge, which means no cost to you. But in this year and moment, when we're celebrating God's greatest gift to the human race and the gift of the Christ child, if God's been good to you over the past 12 months and you have some extra blessings tucked away in your heart, in your life, and you'd like to invest some of those blessings in our shared journey into the future, I'd like to invite you to make an investment by calling our toll-free number. It's an easy number. You know it. 1-877, two words, His Will. 1-877, His Will, where our friendly operators are waiting to serve you. If you'd rather do it on the web, in your own convenience, you can do it there. Go to www.pmchurch.tv. 
pmchurch.tv. You'll notice a holiday banner up in the corner. Click on to it. The simple directions are all there. No direct mail to you. No telephone calls from us. It can be for you a one-stop, one-time gift. Or if you wish, you can repeat your generosity in the new year. So, if God has blessed you, and you'd like to invest some of that blessing in our New Year mission to reach this world for the soon-coming Jesus, just call our toll-free number, 1-877-HIS-WILL, or go to our website, pmchurch.tv. Because this much I know, we're facing an incredible and uncharted adventure ahead. The new year is going to be the most significant year you and I have lived here on this planet, period. But the good news is that we get to make the journey together, together with Christ. And so I hope you come back to this station, come back to this site every step of the way. Tell your friends about it. Let's grow this community for Christ. And until we meet back here on the television or on the web, may I wish for you a very blessed holiday. Thank you for sharing the journey.